Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Awesome. Welcome, everybody. Here we are again. Shar Um, I will give a heads up that this is our last class before Tishrei. Next week is SAI for Ringin. And then after Tishrei, we will continue Wednesday nights with um, Shar B'Tachin. So get excited. If you get lonely and miss me so much during Tishrei, you can come over for a meal. <laughs> or you can listen to other recordings in on YouTube, Spotify, or any other of the our recording locations. Okay. So we left off on page 35 by the section that says seven chapters of the gate of trust. But before we get into the book, I wanted to share, um, I think I spoke about it last week, the hair for this month is, as always, absolutely incredible. I am a huge hair um, fan. So I wanted to share a really beautiful letter. The topic, the main, main topic of this month's hair is the Rebbe's advice and guidance for working with, for working at Parnassa. And the entire article is out of this world. I definitely suggest it because everybody at some point works for, works for their Parnassa or will at some point work for their Parnassa or their husbands will. So this is just vital information that we really um, we live with a lot of the time. So one of my favorite letters that I, I kind of referenced in last week or referenced that last week um, is on page 30. Oh my gosh, 38. Oh, 35. Okay. 38 of the hair. And the title says Clean Kalim. So I'm going to read a few sections of it. And I think you guys will really, really enjoy. Another important point about recognizing the true source of our Parnassa is that a person should stay far away from any hint of immoral or forbidden behavior. If you think that the business itself is the only way to make money, you might get carried away in desperation in caught corners or bent halacha here and there. But when you recognize that ultimately everything only comes from Hashem, then on the contrary, you will make sure that your business dealings are all 100% kosher and can serve as a good keli for Hashem's blessing. So, um, like, should I tell the story? Um, I recently saw someone trying, a, a young someone, a child, trying to brush their teeth and they couldn't get a cup quick enough and they really needed to like spit out. So they, they, they know that they can't use the negovas or halachically. So what they did was they were not drinking from it. They poured from the negovas into their mouth. <laughs> anyway, so I saw it and I quickly brought a cup. And it ensued into a whole conversation about not always are the Negalvassers so clean under there. It's just they get used constantly. And sometimes there's stuff there that isn't meant to be put in a mouth. But anyway, so we had a whole discussion about making a clean Kaylee. Like a clean vessel is so, so, so important. And it really affects everything that goes in. The water came from the faucet perfectly clean. It entered a Kaylee that may not have been so clean. And so therefore that causes it that it shouldn't go anywhere 
where clean water is needed. So, so too here. Our work is just the keli, it's just the vessel. The bracha is still pure. But if our work is making a vessel that isn't so clean, it's just going to soil the bracha as well. So it continues. I'm going to skip a section. Um, yes, it is possible that people who employ these tactics might make more money, right? So some people say, uh, we, growing up, I had somebody who um, had a business and he was very much struggling closing on Saturday because Saturday is the business day. It's the day that everybody goes shopping. What do you mean? Everybody else, especially I grew up in the South, so it's the Bible Belt. Everyone's in uh, doing their own religious things on Sunday. So Saturday's the day that they do business. And he was struggling a lot. And meanwhile, here we go. Um, it is possible that a yid who keeps his store open on Shabbos or bends the rules of honesty here and there will earn more than his neighbor who meticulously follows the Torah, right? So it's possible you, not you, but somebody could make technically on numbers, could make more money by cutting corners. But this is short-sighted and temporary. At the end of the day, money earned through immoral means is not good money, and it will ultimately be disposed of for unpleasant causes. So this is what I was... Um, one of the things I was discussing last week when we were going through it, so I wanted to share it today. Anyway, uh, strongly suggest their hair every month, but definitely this one, it's great. Um, okay, so now we are on page 35. Um, if anybody would like, there are, the books are on sale at a very, very high discount, only $22. You could totally purchase and if needed. Um, okay. The seven chapters of the gate of trust. That's the section we're up to. The author concludes his introduction by outlining the content of the seven chapters of Shara B'Tachin. So first of all, Mazel Tov. We've spent how many? I think this is class eight or nine. On just the introduction. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, he does a good point. At, it's a good sales pitch. You know, like a good... Um, a good introduction hopefully gets you to read the entire book. So this introduction definitely got our appetite ready for learning about betachin. Okay, so since I have explained that which has occurred to me pertaining to the benefits of having trust in Hashem and its benefits both, both in regard to terror matters and in regard to worldly pursuits, I will now explain seven matters pertaining to betachin. Right? So now we discussed how beautiful it is. Have betachen, you'll have brachas. Have betachen, you'll be calm. Have betachen, you won't have anxiety. Have betachen, and you'll be making parnasa without any worries. You'll be even more rich, quote unquote, than the alchemist who could technically make money out of thin air or not quite thin air, out of a mixture of things. Right? So all this is beautiful and dandy. Um... But now let's actually get into it. So each chapter will address a different aspect of Betachin. So, right, so we're going to go chapter to chapter. Number one, what is trust? Turn the page to page 36. Number two, the, the causes that enable a person to trust in another, right? So number one, we're going to discuss what is it? That's usually how things work. Then afterwards, we're going we're gonna to discuss how a person can trust in someone else. 
Um, number three, to explain the prerequisites due, due to which a person is obligated to have trust in Hashem, as well as to explain the obligation to engage in the means to pursue livelihood, right? So I think a lot of us get into this question of how much of it do I give to Hashem and how much of it do I have to do? It's like, it's like a great area. So this chapter, we're going to get into that. Um, number five, no, number four, sorry, to explain the matters regarding which a person should trust in Hashem as well as when it is praiseworthy to have trust and when it is not, right? So that's another, like, I'll just sit on the couch and eat potatoes and potato chips, I mean, not potatoes, potato chips, and then I'll like, Hashem will just send me everything. Um, so again, we're going to discuss that. Number five, the difference between how a man who has trust in Hashem, a woman, um, who has trust in Hashem engages in the pursuit of livelihood and how a man who does not have a trust in Hashem engages in it, right? So you could still do the same job, but your attitude towards it completely changes whether you have trust in Hashem or not. Number six, to explain the ways in which logic dictates that a person must criticize the opinion of those who say that people should engage in the pursuit of worldly pleasures and delay accepting upon themselves the service of Hashem until they obtain their materialistic desires whom the offer refers to as the owners of the security pledges. Okay, so let's take one second to explain that. Some people think, first I'll take care of my parnasa, then I'll invite Hashem into my life. Like those are the priorities. First I'll, I'm gonna make sure that my pocket is nicely, nice, nice and full, and I'm able to take care of everything that's ever needed. And then Hashem can come into the picture. Like then, fine, then I'll be religious, or then I'll take on this, or then I'll take care of that. And this whole chapter kind of discusses that. I, I, I see the nods and the smiles, so I'm sure everybody here already knows some of what we're going to discuss. Um, number seven, to explain these matters that hinder a person's capability to trust in Hashem. Also, to elaborate on all that we need to discuss regarding the matter of trust and to summarize the levels of trust. Okay, so that's number seven. Summary. Placing trust in Hashem brings tranquility in all areas of a person's life. It allows him to serve Hashem with more peace and affords him an anxiety-free lifestyle. So, first of all, mazel tov. We did it. We finished. A long introduction, all 37 pages of it. Amazing. Okay, get ready. Chapter one. And I'll tell you, chapter one is packed full, but it is teeny tiny. Okay, page 40. In this very short chapter, the author defines the very essence of betafin as well as the primary factor that causes a person to have betafin. Okay, so just a, a heads up, we're about to define what betachen is, what does it mean to trust, and we're going to do so by trust, by defining what it means to trust someone. So not necessarily the definition at, in of itself, we're going to discuss it about someone, and not to be, um, what do you call it, spoil the plot, right, you spoil the plot when you give away the, so at the end of the whole discussion, we will realize how important it is to trust 
only in Hashem, because Hashem is the only one that has all these incredible qualities. Um, but just, just in case you're wondering, we're going to discuss it like in general. I know the first time I learned it, it confused me a bit. So meaning like a few years ago when I learned it. Okay. Definition of trust. The essence of trust is that, is that the peace of mind, and that's a very, very big deal, peace of mind, of the person who has trust and that he relies on the person in whom, in whom he is trusting that the person in whom he is trusting will do the good and correct thing for him, the one who trusts, in the matter regarding which he is trusting him, according to his ability and knowledge to bring that which is good for him into actuality. Okay, so plain and simple, what does it mean? Trusting means I can have peace of mind. I can be calm. I don't have to be worried. I'm not going to have anxiety. I'm not going to be stressing out or losing sleep over whatever it is that that person promised that they would do. Why? Because we know that that person is actually going to take care of it. Right? So imagine someone tells you, um, don't worry about it. You can give me your keys. I'll hold them safe for you. And you'll have a spare, a spare set of keys in my house. Right? So you're, you're giving, funny, I have keys. You're giving your keys that they could literally waltz into your apartment at any point in time, steal all of your, you know, expensive possessions, leave you completely dry without anything. And I, I don't know how many people in this room have um, renter's insurance, but it's a thing. People can do that. Um, I know, I know. But anyway, so technically the person that you're giving your key to you are trusting that they will keep it safe. They won't lose it. They won't give it to anybody else to steal into your apartment. And they themselves are not going to walk into your apartment and do this, right? That's called trust. Trust is I can sleep at night because I know that the person that has my spare key is taking good care of it. Now, this is just in the sense of a spare key. There could be trust with our emotions. There could be trust with our very personal information, right? There's somebody who you shared something very deep with, and there's actually a concept in psychology called vulnerability hangover. So hangover is when someone, I mean, in my example, drinks too much, and then they go overboard, and then they feel sick afterwards. And I'm sure if I do a raise of hands around the room, I won't be the only one who has at one point or another taken a leap of trust and trusted someone with information that was very near and dear to me, something that was deep, something that was emotional, something that was vulnerable and sensitive. And then afterwards I came home or whatever, went to sleep and I'm like, what did I do? What is this person going to do with that, my information? Right? So that ooh, a feeling um, could be seen as vulnerability hangover. It's like a not good feeling after you've done something, right? So trusting that that person is going to care for you, and it, it's two pieces, is that that person is going to be reliable, that you can rely and trust that they are going to do what they said they're going to do, and also that they're not going to harm you, which means that they're going to actually truly care for you. Yes? Very, you know, 
Yes, I never. I have no idea. No one's ever, no one's ever done such a thing. Um, so there's a question about instances where trust is broken, and that's it's actually something we're gonna discuss. So yeah. Okay. All right, so let me read it one more time just so we can get it. The essence of trust is the peace of mind of the person that ha who has trust and that he relies on the person in whom he is trusting, that the person in whom he is trusting will do the good and correct thing for him in the matter regarding which he is trusting him, according to his ability and knowledge to bring that which is good for him into actuality. Okay, so let's read the, the little asterisks. So we're going to go down to where it says, we'll do the good and correct thing for him in the matter regarding which he is trusting him. The concept of betachen is essentially a person's full committed faith that, that the entity he trusts in his, has his best interest at heart. When we trust a friend, the stronger the friendship, the more we feel that he has our best interest at heart. The more we feel he has our best interest at heart, the more we are certain that that not only will he not be the cause of harm, but he will do everything in his power to do what is right for us, right? So two parts. Not only is he not going to hurt you, but he will do everything in his power to make care, to, to care for you and to do what's good for you. Another point. The more trusting a person is, the more he receives the matter regarding which he, is, he trusted. This is for two reasons. Number one, if he doesn't place his full trust, he shows that he lacks confidence that he can be helped. And, the, and that lack of confidence is reciprocated. Okay, so imagine if one of your best friends, or even your mom, your mom doesn't feel comfortable giving you a spare key to the house, right? Wouldn't that give you a weird feeling? You have such a strong relationship that you would hope that such a level of trust is, is there. Like we, that's the norm. What do you mean? It's, it's, a, it's a key to our, our house. So when, when, someone, when someone feels that trust, then it, that feeling gets reciprocated. If someone, if someone makes you feel that they don't trust you, then you might have a feeling that maybe you don't trust them, right? So by having trust and, and feeling that feeling of peace of mind, of calm in whomever you're trusting, that could lead, I mean, okay, right now we're technically not talking about Hashem, but assuming it's Hashem, it leads to that feeling being returned. I mean, it also works with humans, but as it was asked, what about someone who doesn't and someone who, uh, you know, bad things happen and whatever. But this is the way trust works technically. Right. So instances where the trust is broken in regards to... So it wasn't... Oh, meaning it wasn't done in like a... It was... Right. Right. 
So, so the question, there's a question about if, if trust gets broken, how do we work towards continuing to trust? And I think the question goes back one, we have to go back one step and see if this person is worthy of trusting. That's one level of assessment. Is this person, was this a little glitch that happened? You know, obviously Hashem is the only Hashem, so therefore he's perfect and all powerful, almighty, all everything. So trusting him, he's not, he's never gonna mess us up, right? But when it comes to a human who is innately imperfect, mistakes happen. The question is, was it a mistake or was it on purpose harm done? And once you have that clarity on either one, then building the trust is just re-entering the cycle if you're meant to build the trust with that person. Does that mean it makes sense? Um, okay. So two reasons, right? Number, reason number two, when the entity knows that he is the person's only hope, he feels that reciprocal feeling of wanting to ensure that outcome. All this is true when it comes to betachin. We must fully develop the feeling of reliance and trust that Hashem will do what is good for us. In this vein, the Zayar explains, in the Pasuk, trust Hashem forever, for in Hashem, the Lord is the eternal strength, right? So we should trust him forever and is the eternal strength. All mankind must be strengthened in Hashem and place all trust in him. The Zayar is saying that the more energy, devotion, and strength a person places in his trust in Hashem and develops a feeling that he is our only hope the more it will cause a reciprocal response from Hashem to help. It's very interesting. And this is another one of those times where it's like, how much, for example, um, trying to think for a good example that isn't just a doctor. I don't know if it's a good example, but for many people, their cell phones are a big, big deal. Their cell phone is expensive and not always if they break, is it the simplest thing to get a new one, right? So on the one hand, you want someone to fix it. I don't really like this example, but we'll go with it because the doctor one is way too easy. It's like everybody uses always uses the doctor. Anyway, so on the one hand, you're doing all this research. We all know about Google, Yelp, and all these different places um, where you try and find the person who's going to take the best care of your cell phone to fix it. You really need it. You want to give it to the right hands. On the other hand, if our trust and if our tranquility, our, our peace of mind, is based on the fact that this person has good ratings, then we are setting our trust entirely on the person and less so on Hashem. And therefore Hashem says, okay, you're going to give 80% of your tranquility's uh, ability, you know, your, your ability to be calm. You're going to give that to Mr. Joe Schmo on 42nd Street. Fine. I'll, I'll let you do that. And so therefore, the percentage of your trust that you put on that person is the percentage of the trust 
that Hashem gives to that person to do, so to speak, right? But if we still make the keli by going to the right person, but we say Hashem is the one that gives that person the ability to fix my cell phone or not to fix it. And therefore we give our trust to Hashem that he's going to be the one through this person's hands. This person's going to be the shliach, but it's all Hashem's ability. Then Hashem takes full, full credit of what comes, right? He says, wow, you're putting it all on me. I'll make sure to take care of it. But that process of not trusting uh, Mr. Joe Schmo and trusting the Avister, that in of itself is work. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, okay, so we have the next asterisk. According to his ability and knowledge, this is the most we can expect in any trusting relationship that the person will act according to his ability and knowledge. When it comes to Hashem, this is limitless because Hashem has the ability to do anything and he is the all-knowing creator, right? So imagine you call me and you say, hi, uh, Michal, I have a phone and it's broken and I really need help. I need, I need this specific phone. I can't afford a new one. I just need to get this one fixed. So you're assuming that I have some sort of ability to fix it and I have the knowledge to fix it. I mean, I have fixed phones, but no, I would not take your phone and try and fix it. It is not within my realm of ability and knowledge, right? But meanwhile, we all know that Hashem is all-knowing and Hashem is all-capable. And so therefore, putting our trust in him, he's going to for sure take care of it, right? Hello. Okay, we're on page the top of page 41, trust, trust is the peace of mind, right? So what is trust? Trust is that feeling of calm. It's interesting because um, we're currently going through an interesting situation. Um, it's a, quite a test that we're feeling and in our family. And yesterday we got not such great news and I said wow this is so interesting because yesterday I was preparing for today's share so I spent the whole morning learning about Betachin and then I um we got a call with such not great news and I was like wow one thing is in your brain and the other thing is in your heart and taking Betachin and taking it from this is an idea and a process is step one so don't beat yourself up if at some point something negative happens and the thought process is there, that in of itself is huge. Being able to put Hashem as, as your number one, even in a time of stress, even in a time of, of what feels hard in your mind, even if you're still anxious, but in your mind, setting Hashem there and saying, okay, Hashem, I don't understand it and I may not enjoy it right now, but you are here and you're the one taking care of this. And I understand that here. That in of itself is huge. And we need to try to not beat ourselves up if we're not like, you know, singing in the rain as the whole thing pours on us, right? 
it's 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 step one is to be able to have Hashem here, even if you don't necessarily feel it here. So that step one. That said, the process of doing this more often and having Hashem even in the negativity or what feels negative can eventually lead you to have a calm and to really feel it. And what it says here, trust is the peace of mind that a person has due to the trust that he has placed in another and that the latter will do what he has entrusted him to do, right? Knowing and trusting that Hashem is taking care of us and Hashem will take care of us and Hashem will always choose what's best for us. That in of itself is, it's here is a start and the more we do it, the more we'll feel it in other things. And it's, it's interesting because for a specific reason, we had to rent a car, actually twice, twice in the last week. And as Baruch Hashem, good Crown Heights car rentals are, they don't necessarily tell you what time it's pick up and they don't necessarily tell you if it's available at this time or not. And sometimes they drag it on. And so we had to leave at 9.30. And it was nine in the morning and we still didn't have a confirmation and he just was not getting back to me. And I've learned, and this is why trust is like a muscle. You do like little, little steps, little steps, little steps. But I've learned that there's this incredible thing that when you're able to be calm and daven to Hashem, he's really the one that fills the bracha. So renting a car for some might be a small thing, for some might be a huge thing. But the moment I decided, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to rush my davening because we have to leave in half an hour. I'm going to make sure to do my davening properly. I left my phone open to the chat on the table and I went to the other room to daven. And I kid you not, I'm in the middle of Shmanesra. My husband didn't realize what I was, like, he didn't realize that was the middle of Shmanesra. I kid you not, I'm in the middle of Shmanesra. He's like, oh, he just texted, the car's ready. Every time, both times this past week, when I rented cars, every time in the middle of Shmanesra, suddenly everything works out. So that might be, for me, it's like, whatever for some people it'd be super stressful i really had to get to this meeting on time and it was a big deal that i had to have the car at the exact time that i needed and have a car period um but realizing in our mind even if we don't feel calm yet but starting the process by saying okay hashem i get it you're doing this and you're a part of this picture you're taking care of me even if i don't necessarily feel it right now that in of itself is huge. You may not feel it, but it's a it's a muscle. It's like you can't run a marathon out of not working out ever, right? It's a muscle that we work on. Okay. However, in order to have this peace of mind, he must be completely certain that the person he trusts will be good to him. So again, we're on page 41. But the main thing as a result of which the trusting person will trust and without which he will not trust is that he is certain, he is certain that number one, the person upon whom he is relying will follow through on that which he said and do what he, that which he promised to do. Okay, so 
what's going to make a difference between being able to trust somebody or not, whether you can rely that he will actually do what you, what he promised to do, right? If someone tells you, I'm going to be there um, with everything ready, you know, or I'm going to have your paycheck for you. And then day passes and the paycheck's not there. They passes and the paycheck's not there. They passes and the paycheck's not there. That totally diminishes your trust. It starts like, yes, it starts like pecking at it and pecking at it until it's like, and then it, hopefully it doesn't reach a point of no return. But being aware of being reliable is a huge part of trust, which is a lesson for us. I think this is a lesson for us in our relationships, our friendships, and not even close relationships, even work relationships. Being a person that can be reliable builds such strong relationships. So try and make sure that you say what you do and you do what you say because it holds other people's trust, whether it's in something small or in something big. It's a big deal. Okay, so that's number one. Whether How can you know if you can trust somebody? If you're certain that he will do exactly what he says. Number two, when the person he is trusting when the person he is trusting even has in mind to do good with him, that which he had never stipulated or assumed responsibility to do. And that will do that he will do it as an act of generosity and kindness. So not only is being reliable the most important, you want to know that the person's able to do, or not able, that the person has in mind to do even more good than what you expect or even more good than what they promised. So again, it's possible you gave your spare keys to someone who promised to care for them. But you want to know not only that he's going to be reliable, you're going to know that he's not going to use it for bad, but you want to know that he doesn't even want to use it for bad, right? You want to know that he cares about you or she cares about you so much that she would only want what's best for you. That's how you can trust somebody with your keys. That's the same thing with your personal information. You don't want someone who's just neutral. Fine, she just won't hurt me. No, you want to share something deep. You want to share something important for you. Do so with somebody who cares for you and is willing to go above and beyond in her goodness for you. She cares for you so much. She wants even more than what she's able to give. Whether she does it or not, that's different. But that that point of wanting to be there for you and cares for you even more, that is crucial. Which, by the way, this is a great way of working on relationships, which is also a great way of working on marriage. But, like, well, the, the step one is that you're, you're reliable. A husband can know that when you say what you're going to do something, you're actually going to do that. That's huge. And working on being reliable in general with your relationships builds that muscle for your marriage. And number two is showing him that you care about him so much that you'd want to do more good even than what you're capable of doing. You, you want for him even more than what you've promised to do. That makes sense? Okay. So now let's read the asterisk on the bottom. 
he will do it as an act of generosity and kindness. Okay, so this is a big one. Buckle your seats. This is going to be exciting. Yes. She's like, yes, that. <laughs> That and that's that's and by the way, okay, so let me repeat the let me repeat the question. How did you start it again? Is it how do you trust somebody that doesn't follow through, or if you should trust somebody that doesn't follow through? And the example given was somebody at work, which is funny because this is what we're this is not just an Hashem, this is real stuff. Somebody at work who says, I'll get it done for you by today, and then she never gets it done by today all the time all the time does not get it done by today so if it's a if it's a relationship that's worth that you have a good enough relationship which is again communication 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 uh but if it's a good enough relationship that can handle it i would probably say i really appreciate your eagerness and like, it's probably coming from a good place. Like it's, I don't know her, but it's possible she's really eager to try and get this done. And like, she really cares about you and getting, you know, being her best. Um, so I really appreciate it. I wonder how to tell her, like maybe tell me tomorrow. So that's a more realistic, or I don't know if it's even tomorrow. Is she reliable enough to say that tomorrow she'll be able to do it? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, and you really need to know when she'll be able to do it. No, no. That's not going to be the case. I don't give a deadline for a duty. Yeah. But she gets a duty herself. Like, okay, I'll get this done by today. And, like, and then, then she probably feels terrible. Yeah. It's like a negative I mean, cycle. Don't say that. You told her that? I said something like that one. <laughs> so the question the question yeah, I guess the father to be like outside of the the deadlines, whatever, like schedule. It doesn't actually matter when it's done, but just for advice to me every day, like that's the question. Okay, so 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 the, the comment was said that the person doesn't give a, a due date. Um, but the, the meaning, the person asking doesn't give a due date, but the person providing the service gives herself a due date, um, and it's always today, and then it never follows through. And so that is frustrating to the person asking because she feels like she's being lied to. So I will, I, I might be wrong. I might be wrong, but just be aware that she's probably lying to herself. She's not meaning to lie to you. She just has a very unrealistic expectation and therefore she's lying she yeah um she's not meaning to lie but she i mean let's just it, yeah there you go that's a better word but essentially it's she is 
she is putting on herself to get it done today because she's eager and it's, it's possibly coming from a very good place. I don't think she's out to get you, um, which I don't think you thought that, but I'm just clarifying. But it's hard. It's hard to trust somebody who they themselves give themselves such a situation. Very good question. So the question is, obviously meant to trust Hashem, but the, but should is this saying that we should trust people even if they're not being trustworthy? This is absolutely saying do not trust people even if they're, especially when they're not being trustworthy. So this is the downfall. Exactly, this is the downfall of trusting people, and and we take this as a personal message. But I, I will give you. I'll give you the end of the story. The end of the story is he basically proves that the only trust we should be having is in Hashem. Because even someone who's very trustworthy, they are still, even if they have the best intentions for you, and even if they are reliable, just by the fact that they're imperfect means that they might mess up. And again, it doesn't mean we should be a psycho and like never trust a single person and like lock ourselves in the basement because everyone's out to get us. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is you're, you're meant to live a life of trust and you're meant to be a trustworthy person. But at the end of the day, who's really the source of all trust and who's really the person that we should trust as a whole is Hashem. Does that make sense? But this gives us a, a nice clue. If someone is unreliable and they make unrealistic expectations for themselves and therefore unrealistic expectations for you, then you should not be foolish and think that they're real, right? Which you weren't, but this is just teaching it for ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Okay, so we are on page 41 on the little chup chick at the bottom. Okay, he will do it as an act of generosity and kindness, right? So that we said that earlier in regards to the person is willing to do even extra good. They care about you so much. They're willing, they want for you better than even they can fulfill themselves. So if somebody else is willing to, is able of doing a better job at what you ask them to do, they'll say, go to that person. I care for you so much that person is able to do a better job, right? The author is implying here that even if, a, even if a person is not deserving of good, Hashem will still bestow good upon a person who has betachin. This is huge. Just give me a warning, get ready for the ride. This is articulated by the author in chapter two, where he writes, quote, to the deserving as well as to the undeserving. Right, so even someone who doesn't deserve that good thing that we're hoping for, that's what they'll get. This, however, begs a question. How can a person be so certain that he will receive good regardless of his worthiness? And to the extent that he achieves tranquility of soul of the one who, of the one who trusts. Perhaps he is not deserving of good and Hashem will therefore not shower him with good. Right? Have we ever, don't do a raise of hands, but have we ever wondered, 
Exactly. Without raising your hand. It's like, yeah, maybe I don't deserve this. Like maybe, maybe this is not meant for me. I, I recently had a situation that was very, very, very hard. And it was starting to cross borders, borderline like abuse, not physical barfushan, but like I just I started to feel abused. And I had to say no. And it was very hard for me. And I had to discuss it with people to get the right advice about how to say no. But in the end, I said no. And then that same day, I got something else that was said no to me. And I'm like, <gasps> Mina, can I have me? I was like, oh my gosh, Hashem's out to get me. Uh, like I freaked out. I went through a whole like, should I go say yes? And then I went back and after discussing with my husband, my Shri, I was like, no, I still should have said no. And Hashem is not trying to punish me. This is just another level of good. It's going to lead to another yes somewhere else. And it was very, very interesting how we grapple with these things. And these things, like these thoughts really come into our mind sometimes of like, maybe I'm not deserving of a yes. Maybe I'm not. And at the end of the day, Baruch Hashem, that no was great. And we figured out that, that no was a good no because it wasn't meant to happen and it was good. Um, but the one I got. And so in reality... It was a bracha. It really was. It didn't feel like it at the time. And I freaked out, obviously. But it, it really was a bracha. Like every time you go into the and the guy says no, it's like, this is your happiness. <laughs> so your happiness is a lot of not secret happiness. Yes. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, like, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it'll be all yeses from now on for everyone who needs a zivu. I need the right one. Yes. The right well, yes. That's already... <laughs> Yes, I mean, okay. So, right, so now we're questioning what perhaps he's not deserving of the good, and Hashem therefore will not shower him with good, right? So, the Maharal explains this by citing the Talmud, which expounds on the verse, Trust Hashem forever, for in Hashem, the Lord is the eternal strength. Whoever places his trust in Hashem, Hashem will be his shelter in this world and the world to come. The Maharal explains. That concerning trust in Hashem, the Pasuk states, trust Hashem forever, because even if a person is not deserving of a favorable outcome, he should still have trust that it will be good. And that in his in this way, Hashem will be his shelter and he will he will be bestowed with good. The Maharal continues to interpret the, the Pasuk using this, using it to explain how and why Batafan works. So let's get one second. The work of trusting in Hashem is work in of itself. Like not being nervous in a time of distress is in of itself work. It, well, it is possible, but it just takes a lot of work to make that possible. Not being nervous in a time of distress, not being nervous in a time of struggle is work in of itself. And trusting in Hashem, that work of trusting in Hashem and not being nervous earns the ability of getting good, even if you didn't deserve it to begin with. Does that make sense? Because I don't know about you guys, but when I have a hard struggle, it's not always like rainbows and butterflies and I'm dancing around singing the gunim, right? <laughs> Sometimes that's like that. 
Okay, Baruch Hashem. To, to make that a possibility, to not be... Yes, yes. Um, right. I'm totally chill. Right, right. So if adrenaline is running through your body and you are really nervous um, or feeling nervous, then how do you, what are the practical steps to implement this, right? That's what you're saying? Um, so the, right, so I, when, I, when I started class, one of the things I discussed was first step is putting it in your mind. And even if you don't feel calm just by putting it in your mind, using your muscle in that this muscle, but you know, the processing muscle, using that muscle in that way already helps. So even if you are nervous and your adrenaline is still running, you don't want to pretend and, but just the fact that you're making one step closer to adding Hashem into this picture, as our logo explains, we have to put on our Hashem glasses, right? Just by putting our Hashem glasses on or trying to in here, even if it didn't yet affect our emotions, that in of itself is a step. Because remember, this is this is like running a marathon. It doesn't, you don't just like, woo, that's it, I'm gonna run. And like, you're all hyped up and then you run it. Like, it, it's a muscle that needs to be strengthened. You have to work it out. You have to work on it slowly, slowly, slowly. And you'll, you could, you will. Everyone in this room can and will reach a point where they can handle it in a calm fashion. I will plug in, shameless plug in, for the for brain that we had Monte Shabbos with um, Robert Kremneiser. Now I learned how to say it. Um, the author of this beautiful book, which if you've earned, we have your copy here. So Conversation with Zadie, you can check out our, the recording on Spotify and YouTube. But it was amazing. It was amazing, amazing, amazing. So it was a Zoom Monte Shabbos because he lives in Australia. Yes, he was incredible. So I've, over the last, how many days has it been? Monte Shabbos was one. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So that's five days. Has it been five days already? No, Sunday, Shabbos, Shabbos. Yeah, that's five days. I've listened to it probably six times. The whole thing. And yeah, I like, I've played it on replay. As I do everything in my house, I'm just like, play it and I play it and I play it and I play it. And um, yeah, it's an hour. Yeah. Yay! So, I'm so happy with that. So basically, um, to give a long story short, he he spoke about his how he reached his level of betachen, and how in 1992 Australia went through a huge recession, and Baruch Hashem he was very 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 wealthy, and um, he lost. I remember the number correctly. 
it was $27 million. M million. Okay. And this is 1992. So imagine inflation, $27 million now is probably up. Close to a hundred, I would assume. What? No, this was in nineteen ninety-two. Right, that's what I'm saying. So in twenty-seven million now. Oh, inflation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you do the calculation, a friend, a friend, <laughs> shout out to a, a friend, who did the calculation online when I was forbidding about it with her, and I, if I remember correctly, the number she sent me was close to a hundred. Um, but that's a lot of money. And he said that thanks to a letter from the Rebbe, which he then shared with me, and I'm hoping to be able to share with everybody, um, which basically the, the, the short gist, and again, you guys can listen to the, his recording of him telling it directly, but the short gist of it was that if Hashem is in charge of every single thing, every single moment, then he's in this moment, and what is there to worry about? How is there room for worry? Why not? Um, what? Why not? Why not what? Not just there, but he's the one doing this. So therefore, we know that he's he must actually. We're about to get into it. So let's let's go back into the into the safer because he's about to explain um, the mechanics of how it works. So this is good. Okay, so we're on page forty-one on the bottom side, the right side. The Maharal continues to interpret the verse, using it to explain how and why Betachan works. For in Hashem, the Lord is the internal strength. In Hashem, the Lord is the internal strength. The Talmud explains that the letters Yud and He, the name of Hashem used in this Pasuk, are the letters of Hashem's name through which this world and the world to come were created. Therefore, Hashem has control over both of these worlds. When a person has trust in Hashem, that he will be his shelter, right? So we trust in Hashem, and Hashem is going to take care of us. He reaches a connection with Hashem on the level where he is in control of and surrounds all the worlds. And Hashem bestows upon the man of upon the man of Betachen good from the upper world, the world to come, which is only good and makes it good for him in this <laughs> world, even though he is not deserving. So when we have so much Betachen, we connect. You're good, you're good. Breathing is good. Don't stress. Um, we connect to Hashem on the higher level, and therefore Hashem gives us on this higher level. We can explain the power of Betachen by borrowing the famous words from the third Chabad Rabbi, Rabbi Menachem Mendel, known as the Tzemach Tzedek, to someone who asked him to intercede on behalf of a gravely ill person. The Tzemach Tzedek replied, Trach gut, bet sein gut. Think good, and it will be good. This is not merely a belief that Hashem can do good, right? Because some of us think, okay, Hashem, Hashem's able, Hashem's capable of doing good, right? It's not just thinking that Hashem can do good. Or wishful thinking that Hashem will do good. It's like, okay, maybe, uh, I hope, I hope Hashem takes care, takes care of me. Or thinking that he is deserving of good. It's like, okay, fine, I'm such a good person. Therefore, Hashem for sure will take care of me. Rather, when a person places his trust solely in Hashem, in other words, it becomes a divine service, which he puts effort into living his life without anxiety or fear. 
and lives with the knowledge that Hashem will bestow upon him revealed good, then Hashem repays that trust by granting his, desired, his desires in revealed good. So again, we get bad news, not we. Somebody gets bad news. The effort it takes to be calm, the effort it takes to put Hashem, put on Hashem glasses, to see that Hashem is in the world, to see that Hashem is taking care of me, to see that this must be coming from Hashem because Hashem does everything. And to really process that and say, okay, Hashem is good. Hashem only does good. And so therefore this must be good. And trusting that level to the point that hopefully you'll have it not, in, not just in your head, you also have it in your peace of mind. That in of itself is work. And that work in of itself earns, earns this level of getting what you davened for. Does that make sense? Yes, even if you didn't think you deserved it, even if you didn't think, um, or you wishful thinking that Hashem will take care of you, but just the fact that you worked on your betachin, you worked on putting Hashem in that in your mind through that situation, that in of itself is work, and that work earns that Hashem will take care of you. So, yeah, so it's a start. But Hashem, it's not, Hashem doesn't judge you fully on the accomplishment. Hashem judges you on the work done, like on the work that you put into it. Even if it was really hard to not freak out for five minutes, and then after five minutes, you're like, ah, Hashem appreciates the five minutes. He says, wow, she really put that effort. Yeah, Yitzhar comes and, you know, pushes us around and, um, in Kutrasamayan, it's like the whole, you know, Rashtos and it pushes us around and blah, 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 blah. But in reality, the, the amount that you put in, Hashem appreciates. Okay. The Altar Rebbe further explains how Betachan works to produce a positive outcome, basing his explanation on two principles. Number one, Hashem is the essence of goodness, which, by the way, all of this gets very, very well done and discussed in this book as well as um, The Lawyer and the Mystic, which is his other book. I strongly suggest both of these books and they're really good to, it's a storyline, it's really easy read, but he does a really good job at explaining all of this. Okay, so number one, Hashem is the essence of good. And number two, one who is good does only good. He explains what it is true that everything that happens is good. This truth is the way that divine blessings are expressed in the upper hidden worlds. These spiritual worlds contain only infinite blessings, but they do not necessarily translate into revealed good or in, or in our material and finite worlds. Our limited revealed world, which contains an element of bad in it, cannot package all that is essentially good to be seen for the good it is, right? So even if something doesn't feel good, we have to know that it's all coming from Hashem and Hashem only does good. Even if it doesn't feel good, it means it's coming from a higher level that it's packaged in, in a not such good package. As we gave the example a few weeks ago, which is also from uh, our author, the author of Conversation with Zadie, um, a child who gets given 
stocks, right? He may not appreciate and later on in life or, or at that point he's crying because all he wants is a bike. But later on in life, he'll make, he'll be able to buy hundreds of bikes with the amount of money invested into his stocks, right? Does that make sense? So it doesn't always feel good, but in essence, it is good. When we trust that it is all really good, we create a compatibility between the infinite world of only goodness and the material world we live in, right? So when we're able to trust, we line up something that may come as a not such good feeling. We line it up into our world as something that hopefully will feel good. Consequently, the imaginary bad in, of this world becomes revealed good in this world, paralleling the upper worlds, right? Because it was meant to be a bracha. When we see it in that way, and we see that Hashem only, only gives us good and we have betachan, so then we are able to see it as a bracha here. In conclusion, we are not only believing that Hashem is good, or that everything Hashem does is for the good, which is a muna, because a situation may arise when we will not see the good. The goodness can remain, remain hidden. This does not allow for tranquility of the soul of the one who trusts, right? We said that, what, how, what's betachan? Feeling that tranquility of the soul. And surely not for the undeserving. Rather, think good and it will be good tells us that if we make Hashem our only means of achieving blessings, aka betachan, and we develop these feelings to the point of full confidence in Hashem, that he will, in fact, fulfill our wishes, then Hashem will surely grant them, right? When we put our trust fully in Hashem, and that in and of itself is an avoda, it takes work. When we turn our trust entirely to Hashem, then Hashem will make it that it will be so. Does that make sense? And this is all coming from the most incredible sikha, which I strongly suggest if you haven't yet learned it, and even if you've learned it, learn it often. The Kuti Sikha is volume 39. Uh, incredible, incredible sikha. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. 36. I read the number backwards. Backwards. I was like getting excited. It's another one. I know. Nah. <laughs> no, Lamed Shmais. Incredible sicha in the book, which we were selling a while ago. I think we sold out. But um, lessons in Lakate Sichas, um, the Safer Shmais, they actually have it translated beautifully. Incredible with really nice commentary on the bottom. Um, lessons in Lakate Sichas, and it's the level that's called that's for partial, like for Safer Shmais. What's the Sicha? Oh, um, 36, love and above. Okay, this is necessary, right? We're on page 42 and we're finishing off. This is necessary because otherwise the person will always be worried as he is undeserving of the goodness. Oh, sorry, sorry. This is necessary. What's this? Meaning that the person that we're trusting cares for us so much that he's willing to do even more above and beyond um, because he likes us so much. So even though he may not be the right provider, he'll send us to someone else because he wants us or she wants us to do even better. Okay. This is necessary because otherwise the person will always be worried that he is undeserving of the goodness of the one in whom he is placing his trust, which will cause him to stop trusting in him, right? So if, if, if we don't think we're worthy of, of trusting or we don't think we're worthy of that person being good to us and we have a hard time trusting. It's actually interesting. A lot of people get this in the beginning when they first have a mashpia. 
that's like, who am I? I'm going to call her. She's so busy. She's so great. She's so amazing. I'm just a little. Uh, and so therefore we don't put into the relationship and therefore the relationship doesn't give the rewards that anyway. The definition of trust, so in summary, the definition of trust is the peace of mind that a person achieves as a result of his complete trust in someone else, which we're going to learn in future classes that it's Hashem. In order to achieve this peace of mind, the trusting person must be sure that the person he is trusting will follow through with his promises. And additionally, the trusting person must also feel that the other will be kind to him in matters beyond that which the other took responsibility for, which means he'll go above and beyond. And Mazel Tov, in one class, we did chapter one. We are going to, we're going to, yes, and Gudyamtiv. We're going to start Eric Shaney after Tishrei. Everyone's invited. Um, next week, we have SAI for bringing. Get excited. It's going to be here. Bezos Hashem. And also, um, a few times I referenced conversations with Zadie during Shir, and I showed it in the video, but anyone on audio may not have heard. So the book I'm referring to is Conversations with Zadie. I definitely suggest everyone read it before Rosh Hashanah. It's literally, it took me like two sittings to read it. It's a really cute story of a young um, Bachar speaking to his grandfather and getting some amazing wisdom. And it definitely puts you in like the Rosh Hashanah Hashem mindset. So conversation with Zadie, Mazel um, Okay. Thank you, everybody. It's a pleasure. Yes, good jump to it. Um, if everybody wants to take